the pastor had asked all the ministers for the month of April to talk about helping friends and family come to Christ. So I asked myself, what am I going to talk about? I had to do an introspective myself. But then I said, wait a minute, what would Jesus do? As corny as that sounds, I had to go to the Word. I had to go to the Bible. I had to search, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do to bring his neighbors, his friends, um, his family to Jesus Christ? Or more like it to him, unto him. And so as I'm thinking about the preaching, I'm thinking also about everything that I've learned in Sunday school, things that I've read in books, articles that I've read online, and teachings that I've uh, listened to or I've learned or I've participated in, in Sunday school. I read and it all pointed to one source, the Bible, and the, sec- and the main source, Jesus Christ. There are points that I'd like to share with you today, and there are basically three points. And the first point I'm going to share to you today is that in order for you to be able to help a friend or a family member come to Christ, you need to be God's love letter. Some of us have heard that before, but don't really have a full understanding of what it is. Being God's love letter. What is being God's love letter? Being God's love letter is to show that you are interested and you care for your fellow human being. Okay? Is even, that's a, like a nice pretty term, being God's love letter. It sounds romantic. But it has deep and deep, deep meaning. If we go to the book of John, um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 30, Jesus went to a certain place. And the, obviously God took him there. He went to meet up with somebody very important. He went to meet up with someone who was living in a place where... It was a woman. She was ostracized. She was not um, respected. And basically she was put away from her community. On top of that, she was a sinner. We're all sinners. Now, if we read John 4, chapter 4, verse 1 through 30, if someone could read it, that I would appreciate it. Anybody? Anybody got it? When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me the drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast not, nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then that hast thou that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, 
and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him as a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You know that thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that thou said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. You know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called the Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I that speak to you am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked to this woman. Yet no man said, What do you... What seekest thou? What are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Amen. Praise God. So long, um, 30 verses, but it's necessary so you can have an understanding of what's going on. Being, being God's love letter. Jesus had to be that love letter. He was that love letter. And when he went to Samaria, he knew who he was dealing with. He knew what kind of people were the Samaritans were. They were a, mis- a mixed race. Some people believe they were mixed Jews with some other uh, race out there. But the Bible does say they were a mixed race. And um, this woman, the Bible says, had... Not only one husband, had had two husbands, had had three husbands, had had four husbands. She really had five. Actually, she had four in the past, and she was presently living with somebody. Because the Bible doesn't, it says kind of husband, but the connotation really means that she was cohabitating with this uh, new person. Um, On top of the fact that uh, she was a Samaritan, and she was a woman, and she already had had, uh, had been in five relationships, um, she was hated by her community. She was ostracized. This woman went to the well. Maybe some of you know and some of you don't know. But culturally, people go to the well early in the morning, not when that big major sun is coming down and pounding on you, especially if you know if you've been to the Middle East, you know it's really hot. So usually the women go early to get the water and the things that they need. But since everybody else felt better in terms of they felt better that... Um, 
what would be the appropriate word, um, above her. They ostracize her. And when you ostracize, does anybody know what that means? You criticize, what else? You what? Isolated. You're usually put to the side. You're usually put in the background. You're usually hidden. You're usually nobody sees you. And so they made her go to the well at the noonday heat, pounding on your head when you're uncomfortable. And that is the time that Jesus Christ decided to come. During the noonday heat, pounding on near that well, where he found this woman over here trying to get some water. Okay? And so as he gets there... Um, what do you call it? After uh, he realizes that this woman is there waiting for him, he has something he wants to give her. And as he begins to talk with her, as we can see, he gets into a conversation with her. And he allows her to just talk and talk about the fact that um, she's there at the well getting water. And she's there and um, she's married and she has several husbands. So little by little in the conversation, he begins to talk to her. But nobody would talk to her in, in her community. They maintained her an ostracized person. And the reason why I bring that up is that if you're going to be God's love letter, those are the people that God is calling you to minister to. Those are the people, the friends and the family that you might be ostracizing in your own family, in your own community, in your own job. Think about those people in your job. Sometimes you get uh, people who are, don't fit the, uh, what do you call it, the so-called office view, uh, what is it, uh, 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 a square peg in a, in, a, in a round, exactly, and when you ostracize, that's what happens to you, you become to be put to, to the part, to the side, and here we have Jesus Christ who comes, recognizing and risking, as a man, as a Jewish man, his reputation, talking to a woman, which is another uh, no-no, Okay, a person who was a Samaritan, strike three. And then a woman who's had not only one relationship, has had five relationships. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes to a person who is full of problems, crises, situations. But he decided, I'm going to risk it and talk to her anyway. And he went to the well, and he talked to her. And she realized that she was talking to the Messiah. And she realized that he was going to give her something very important that was going to change her life. And it changed her life in such a way that at the end... In the last verses, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town, said to the people, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town, and they made their way towards him. That only comes by revelation of God. You're talking about an ostracized person, a person that nobody wanted to talk to, a person that nobody wanted to deal with, a person that everybody gave their back to. Went and recognized that the person who came to her... And that, uh, that day was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so as, if you are walking in love and you want to be God's love letter, then you need to think about there are going to be times that God is going to call you to risk it. God is going to call you to go to those people who have been ostracized. Are you ready for that? I, I was so happy last week when I saw that the church was really wall-to-wall with people. There's a lot of people here today. But I just can't wait till we're bulging out of this place and that we have standing room only. Amen. Praise the Lord. But that's going to take us having to risk our reputation. Right. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Being God's love letter. What does it mean? It means that you have to share that that is precious. And sometimes it's worth taking that risk. you got to think about it. If, if Jesus Christ hadn't gone there, 
would she have had a change in her life? No. She needed an encounter. How many of us, it took an encounter with somebody who took a risk on you? Who said, okay, maybe they, they look like this, or they, look, they don't look normal, or they don't look the same. But I see something in them. I see that they're the children of God, and that God can change their lives. If you take and you look at the person who you're talking to as that precious thing, with that precious word, praise the Lord, that can be that that changes that person's. Being God's love letter. What does it mean? It means taking the first step and making yourself available to God. Let's go to John 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. I'm so happy they're singing in there. Praise the Lord. Those are the children. Decreeing and declaring more kids in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does anybody, everybody has it? Can somebody read it, please? Somebody with a loud voice. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread? Where, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. I'm sorry, to what? To 14? Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of, the, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here, and he has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, a number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, they said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, and that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them, that had eaten. Amen. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that a prophet that should come into the world. Amen. Praise God. Again, being a love letter, God's love letter, means taking the first step in making yourself available. How many of us really actually make ourselves available? We are a congregation of a lot of professionals, of people who are still in the workforce, of people who are uh, studying, going to school. Uh, others are in trainings, and very few of us are retired. And I understand that it's very tiring, and you're tired, and you're uh, at the end of the week, you don't want to do anything except sleep and try to uh, do whatever you can in terms of getting your house together if you're a woman and a man relaxing. 
and not hearing about doing anything in the house. Praise the Lord. But God is asking you to make yourself available. Are you available? Because sometimes people say, oh, this doesn't get done, and X doesn't get done, and Y doesn't it get done. But when they come to you and they ask you, so-and-so, can you? And then you come up with a, I can't. I'm not available. I'm not able to. I'm too tired. My back hurts, and X, Y, Z. Are you making yourself available to God? We are going to take this community, but if we are not available to him, how are we going to take it? Maybe the church down there might take it. We have one right across the street from here, the Presbyterian, I believe. Praise the Lord. We actually have a whole bunch around us. But if we don't take it, somebody got to take it. So if you want to be God's love letter, you need to be able to take the first step and make yourself available. In John 16, 114, one of the things that is interesting, besides the people being fed and um, healed, is that the people already came following Jesus. They already had seen Jesus do a whole bunch of miracles. So they knew that this man, this prophet, had some type of power to heal. And some type of power to do some of the things that they had seen where they were on the other side. Now, when they crossed over, they didn't just cross over with one person, but the Bible says they crossed over with 5,000. And supposedly, I believe it doesn't include children, men, and, um, men, women, and children. So you have a whole bunch of people over here crossing over, following the man of God, okay, because they're behind them for two different reasons. One is that they are hungry, physical hunger. And secondly, they're looking to get healing in the name of Jesus as a community, as a people, as a people of God and the church, we need to be able to fulfill those needs. We need to be able to feed the belly and feed the soul. Amen. Are you ready? Are you making yourself available? Another thing that I found kind of interesting when I was reading that is that in order to make, making yourself available is something very important. For instance... How many people believe that Jesus could have pulled the fish and the loaves out of anywhere? I do. I, same way he said, God said, man, if I have God could have done it. But God chose not to. God likes to co-labor. God likes to work with you. And it doesn't matter if you're little, if you're old, if you're young, if your back hurts, it doesn't hurt. But God wants to co-labor with you. So what happened? God see, uh, Jesus sees... A little boy who has five loaves and two fishes. And obviously, I'm assuming that when the disciples saw that, they probably said, like, what are we going to do now? We got 5,000 men. That, isn't gonna, that will feed the kid, and that's it. But God decided to take this little boy and co-labor with him and multiply and do a miracle with the of five loaves and the two fish. And the Bible says that what? That at the end, when everybody was satisfied, there was still more than enough left to eat. That's a true miracle. And I believe that also happened because someone made themselves available. And it was a kid. It wasn't an adult. I mean, can you believe that? It wasn't an adult. It was a kid. The, other, the disciples are saying, we ain't got no money. And what little money we do have is to buy for us, for us, for us. But this little kid had his five loaves and two fish. And here it is. And God was able to do something with that. Praise the Lord. Being God's love letter, what does it mean? It means being in contact with those in society that no one wants to be in contact with, like the drug addict, the prostitute, the incarcerated, 
How about the abandoned, the abused, and the mentally ill? The misunderstood. A lot of people don't understand them. That's why they're called misunderstood. Think about it. How many of these people, I'm not saying that they are because, but some of us have people like that in our families. Some of us know or have friends that we grew up with that fall in that category. That fall in the category of the drug addict, the prostitute, the incarcerated, the abandoned, the abused, the mentally ill. But God wants to be in contact with those people. How many people actually believe that the Lord's coming is really soon? I really do. With everything that I've seen lately in the last maybe year or so, I, I used to think that I may, maybe was never going to see it with my eyes, but I think I am. I really do. Because all around me, there are people who are in need. People in need of clothing. People in need of food. People in need of mental um, health. People who are in need to be free from drugs. People who are in need, like uh, the families to come together. People who are in need to be adopted. People, um, what do you call it, who need Jesus. Are you making yourself available? Are you willing to contact those people? I walked the streets out of the last couple of weeks. I sat in the local parks. I went to Dunkin' Donuts. I uh, walked, uh, did the library, just observing, watching people, watching humanity around me. Everybody was just doing their thing. They just did the thing. And then you wonder, do they know the Lord? Do they have Jesus in their heart? If Christ was to come in this very minute, what would happen? Am I giving it my all? Because I'm putting myself in this situation too. I'm not just coming on to you. I am also making an introspective in myself. Where am I lacking? Can I give a little more? Can you give? If you're giving 50, can you give 65? If you're giving 75, can you give that full 100? Go home and think about that. Are you being God's love letter? All of these people that I've mentioned in our communities, in our um, city, need Jesus. Who's going to talk to the incarcerated if nobody goes to jail? Who's going to talk to the homeless if nobody stops by and says, oh, you got a need? Are you hungry? Who's going to visit the mentally ill facilities? Who's going to go and say, oh my God, we found, uh, somebody needs a family, somebody needs a friend, somebody needs someone to come to them and say, I'm here for you. You don't got family, but we're your family. Are you being God's love letter? Sometimes I think that maybe the, the, the letter is getting a little old. But this letter never changes. The wording stays the same. Who is written to it stays the same. And how he ends it, it stays the same. Are you being God's love letter? If you go to Mark chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, anybody can read it? I like this because the Bible never gives you anything that Jesus has not ever done before. We sometimes think, well, he's going to ask me to do this. But Jesus never done that. Jesus did everything. And if you go to Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, you're going to see what he did. Let's hear it from a lady. 
We heard it from the men. Here we got Jesus, who's walking around because he was preaching. And as he was preaching, obviously this, this gentleman, this tax collector, Levi, that tells us that he's a Jew, okay, begins to follow him. He wants to get more. He wants to hear more. Now, Levi was the kind of person, since being a tax collector, his job made him hated by everybody. By the Jews and the non-Jews. Why? Because he collected the taxes. Why? Because the Jews felt that all those taxes that uh, Levi was collecting was going to go to the pagan memorials and pagan um, homes and uh, whatever, temples or whatever it may be. And they were paying their taxes. And why should their money that they worked for so hard go to pagans? Okay, but he had to do a job. Right? It's like, I don't know if anybody here is a nurse or something like that. Right? If you're a nurse, you've got to do what you've got to do. They may not like it, but you have to do what you've got to do. If you're a doctor, the same way. If you're a lawyer, you've got to do whatever the, the lawyer has to do, whatever he has to do. You might not like what the lawyer is going to say, but you've got to do what the lawyer says. And the same way for poor Levi. Levi was another example of the ostracized. He probably got no visits from any of his um, people in this community. They probably had him like this wherever he went, or probably shut the shutters, or hid, or ran away when he passed by. That's sad. Can you imagine every time you come and people don't want to talk to you, they turn your back? That's harsh. That's harsh. Because in ancient times, people actually did live communal living. This is a community. This church is a community. If I come in here and they turn their backs on me, of course I'm going to feel that. If they don't speak to me, of course I'm going to feel that. If they don't invite me to any of their events, of course I'm going to feel that. So imagine Levi being another ostracized person. And in this case, he was a male. But his job and his job title put him in a position of nobody wanted to hang with him. Jesus doesn't discriminate. So Jesus went to the people who had the need. He went, and it's interesting, it's funny, he, he went knowing that they were going to be talking about him. That the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going to be saying their thing. That any other person who wasn't a Sadducee or a Pharisee was going to be saying something. He sat down there at peace and he ate whatever the dinner was. He had his conversation because he knew he was in the right place. He was in the hospital that God had designed at that moment for those people. Now, where are we at? when we're at that hospital, when Jesus was at that hospital, what did he do? He took the opportunity to speak to them about the kingdom. And it says there that Levi took him home, right? 
And he wanted to hear more. And obviously, whatever anybody that he did have, any friend that he did have, and it says the sinners. So let's assume that the sinners were prostitutes, maybe thieves. Definitely it wasn't Pharisees or Sadducees, because they were going to go to a home of a sinner. But all those people who were ostracized in those communities were at Levi's highest, receiving the word of God, receiving something special. Okay, receiving what God had to give them in that day. Because Jesus Christ chose to be God's love letter. So now these people are going to receive and they're going to be, praise God, go into the kingdom. Number two, point number two. Be willing to do whatever it takes to lead them to Christ. And the reason why I say that is because we have become so complacent. We become so, um, we are too professional to this and to that. And when I say we, I'm not talking only about Calvary. I'm talking about the church in general. Because this isn't the only church. We've been, I've been to a lot of churches. You guys have been to a lot of churches. We've become so complacent that we're comfortable in here. But this is, isn't where we need to be. It is out there. It is out there getting those souls. We need to fill this place so we can out there and take what the enemy has taken from us. If you've got a family member who's in, in, incarcerated, don't you think that person needs Jesus Christ? If you've got a son that you haven't been seen in, I don't know, five, ten years, but you've been praying for, for him to come home, don't you think he needs Jesus? You need to be able to do whatever it takes. We need to stop saying, oh, I can't do it. This is too easy, or this is too hard, or I don't want it, or I haven't been called. Because a lot of people use that too. I haven't been called to evangelism. I haven't been called to do uh, the homeless. I haven't been called to work with the children. I haven't been called to. But clearly, I remember Sister Belinda saying from Mark 16, verse 15, Go ye to all the world, preaching the gospel to every creature. Is that not a command from God? Okay, then he said, go ye all. That doesn't exclude any of us. That includes those little children. And we are encouraging them to come and to receive from the Lord and to begin to minister to their little friends. I really admire Sister Belinda's little girl because she's not afraid to say the truth. She's not afraid to say what she has learned at home. She's not afraid to say what she has learned in church. She's not afraid to say what she has learned in the Bible. How old is Jazzy? Eight? Eight years old. Now, how many of you would step out of the box, risk it, take a chance, and if you're standing at a public bus stop, get into conversations with somebody, and just uh, talk about Jesus. Be honest and raise your hand if you do it. One person? Two people, three people, four people, five people. All of us should be saying, amen, I do it. How many of us talk about sports on the bus stop or music on the bus stop or who won Dancing with the Stars on the bus stop? Okay? Or la novela, quien mató al doctor Juan in the bus stop? But we are afraid to say do you know Jesus? Or just started in the conversation. Are you having a great day? Isn't this a good day? 
When I travel in the taxis and they engage me in conversation, the three things I say to the taxi driver is this. You need to be right in three places. You need to be right with God. You need to be right with your family. And you need to be right with your community. And if you don't got God and you don't write with your family and you don't got community, you ain't going nowhere. That's simple as it is. That, that's the pastor's preaching, amen? That's amen. That's what I can give you in a taxi cab. In a jab, uh, what do you call it? A uh, taxi cab. That's one of the things I say. And a lot of times I find that they engage me in questions about God. I'm not showing them my Bible. I got it in the sack. I haven't rolled up to where we used to go to. How do they know I'm a believer? But they engage me in, a, in, in conversation. They ask me questions. Those are perfect opportunities for you to be able to minister to those people. You can minister while you are on that treadmill, singing that song about Jesus or whatever it may be. Praise the Lord. Somebody might ask you, man, that's a really nice song. Who sings that? And that's where you take off. So what are you willing to do? What are you really? You need to make an introspective. What are you really willing to do? I mean, go crazy. I love Nate because Nate is radically saved. Radically saved, you know what that means? I don't fear anything. Those people don't fear anything. They've done it. They've been through gunshots. They've been had knives pulled on them. They've been in serious situations. Their life has been, what do you call it, um, at death's door. But they came to Jesus. Somebody decided to risk it and talk to them. Somebody decided to make himself available. Somebody decided to say, this, this person needs salvation before he dies under whatever. And we thank for Brother Nate. I've been praying for my community for the last almost two years. And what I do is every day as I go out in the street, no matter what the errand is, I am declaring that the yoke over my community be broken. That the chains that have my community bound can just be destroyed. That it can be uprooted from the root. Because sometimes there are curses that are generational in our communities that are stuck in there. And you go to that community, you go live in Texas, you go live in Florida, you go live in Tennessee or North Carolina, and you come back and you said the neighborhood is still the same. Now why isn't anybody praying? If you count the number of churches from where Toys R Us, what is that up there? I forgot, Brooklyn Boulevard? To over here, I think I've counted that there should be about 25 churches in every denomination. Why isn't this community taken? What is going on with that? Think about it. 25 churches? In some streets, there are like five churches in one block. Why isn't that community taken? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to risk? How far are you willing to go? We cannot be with the same shenanigans and whatever. God has not called us to be in church and receive and receive and receive and we get bigger and bigger and fatter and fatter spiritually, but have nothing to share out there. We get enough powerful and beautiful words from the house of God so that when you go on Monday, you're saying, I want to share something with you. I'm not too much, um, what do you call it, um, technically challenged. That means that I'm not, I know computer, but not that much. 
Okay, I know enough to handle my phone to, to make a phone call. You know, things like that. But I went back on Facebook. I, I had gotten off on Facebook, and somebody said, go back on Facebook for ministry and whatever. And I said, all right. And as I began to listen and to read and everything, I've taken the opportunity just to put little things on, post little things that might encourage people, you know, things that might make them think, things that might encourage them to go out there and take the lost. Those little things you can do, that's not a big risk. That doesn't cost you anything. Are you willing to do anything for your community? What are you willing to do for your family? Let me put it that way. Your real family. Your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts. Your mothers and your fathers. Yeah, because a lot of us have grown adults who still don't know Jesus. Don't wait till you have to be at somebody's deathbed to take them there. I had the, 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 let's call it the privilege, to lead my stepfather. Um, he wasn't on his deathbed, but he was seriously ill. And after being under, uh, uh, like, sort of a coma for maybe two and a half months, I was saying, Lord, give me the opportunity. Don't let him die until I have an opportunity to bring him to Christ. Don't let him die until I have the opportunity to Christ. So I'm here praying, praying, praying. He gets up. He's all, uh, maybe from the medications and from being under for so long. He's negative. He's um, hostile. He's cursing, cursing God. And I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. I'm over here praying that, you know, him come to Christ. And he's, like, all like this. But in the perfect opportunity that God gave me, I mean, I didn't wait long. I said, Lord, if this man is going to die, i got to do it now. I began to talk to him, and I led him in the prayer of salvation. Praise the Lord. And I say, Father, if you want to take him, then you take him. And no sooner that, that we transferred my stepfather to the uh, Veterans Hospital here in the Bronx, because he was in Manhattan, about maybe another three or four weeks, I have one last conversation with him. He tells me, and I never forget, and this still bugs me a little bit. He tells me, oh, I saw everybody last night. Everyone was crying. I saw this and I saw that. My cousin was pregnant with her little baby, so he hadn't seen her yet, but he knew that she was going to have a baby. And he said, I saw her. She was crying because she, she was close to my father, uh, stepfather. And I tell him, uh, I used to call him Harry. I said, Harry, don't you realize that you've been in the hospital for a long time and that... Um, you're getting better, and hopefully soon they're going to transfer you to the um, nursing home. And I'm thinking that he has now a better understanding of what's going on. But that was a Wednesday. He ate a very soft meal. Thursday, he got gravely ill. He flatlined. He had had a triple bypass and um, bowel replacement. And he flatlined. When they called us, I had to call everybody in my family, come, if you want to see him alive. So when I tell you you're flatline, you're basically dead. But unbeknownst to me, they have been working on him. To make a long story short, I get there. The man is still alive. They're working on him. They're bringing him to ICU. I'm praying with my sisters. I brought my sisters both to cross, but my sisters don't fellowship. And the Bible says that we need to fellowship because we encourage each other when we come here. When you're in the midst of crises, the people who should be encouraging you should be the people next to you, the people um, that you're close to. As Elder said, if you have a number, you can say, you can say, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Would you like me to cook you a meal? How can, do you need transportation? How, what can I do for you? My sisters don't fellowship. And I still pray that they come because they know, and I can tell them, they need to come and they need to continue to receive from the Lord. 
my father passed away. They gave me a call. They say he died. I had to tell my mother that he passed away. I had to call everybody that he passed away. And then I have to do the wake, and I have to bury him. That's my first time. The most hardest thing that I had to do in my life. What are you willing to do to risk not losing somebody before it's too late? I had the opportunity to bring my stepfather to Christ. It would have been wonderful if he would have accepted Christ when he would have been younger. Because then he could have done things and the purpose that God had put in him wouldn't have gone to the grave with him. Because when you don't speak to somebody about Jesus Christ, don't you know that? That their purpose is going to waste do you know that, uh, I forgot, uh, Monroe, what's his first name? Miles Monroe says that the cemetery is the wealthiest um, property that there is because all the dreams, the ideas, the inventions, the things that never come to fruition are there. Are you afraid? You, have, you might have to dig into that. Are you afraid of talk to, talking to your mother? Are you afraid to talk to your father? Are you afraid to talk to your sister about Jesus Christ? What is stopping you from sharing with them all the goodness that God has done for you? Even within the struggles and the struggles you might be going is a testimony to what God is doing. Tony said it right here. He wasn't ashamed to say it. He said that God was blessing him little by little. Praise the Lord. That's only God, Tony. With tickets, that's only God. And if Tony doesn't say it, I cannot rejoice with him and I cannot be encouraged for my needs. We've had people who have had needs. Praise the Lord that we've been able to bless them and help them and whatever. But if you don't have Christ in your life, how are you going to move forward? If your family can't see you overcoming, then they have nothing to hope on either. They got nobody to go to. They're going to continue in the same lifestyle. You're going to be saying these people live a crazy life. These people continue to do the same craziness. They're never going to change. But that's your fault because you haven't um, approached them. Think about what's holding you back. Sister Cynthia uh, blessed me with a book called um, Sharing uh, Jesus Without Fear. It's by William Fay. And it's an excellent book. I recommend everybody to get it. I put it to the test, Sister Cynthia. Praise the Lord. This is another testimony. This book is how to minister simply using five questions. How to use it in any spheres, any environment, to initiate a conversation about Jesus. And the one thing that was interesting to me was that uh, Brother Faye says that we don't have to worry about whether or not the person decides to give their heart when you talk to them. Your job is to initiate the the conversation about Jesus Christ. And it's the job of the Holy Spirit to begin to work in that person. And open their heart, because that's the job of the Holy Spirit, so that they may come to Christ. Now, it's been already tested that it takes at least five to seven times that you have contact with that person before that person might have his heart open to receive Jesus into their lives. But it is your responsibility for you to touch them, call them, initiate the conversation. Point number three, use every opportunity to share your faith with friends and family. 
What kind of opportunities do you think, or where do you think you could share your faith with families? How many people go to barbecues in the summer? Raise your hands if you do. Okay. How many people go to bowling? All right. How many people go to family dinners? All righty. How many people get go to meets or together where they meet just with people and they hang out and play games and do stuff? Okay. These are all opportunities for you to share with your friend and your family. So why haven't you? Think about when was the last time. Be honest for one second and, be, uh, and, and make an introspective. When was the last time you gathered with the purpose of talking to your family about Jesus Christ? Was it more than three months ago? Five months ago? A year? Two years? You've never done it. You have to use every opportunity you can to share your faith with your friends and your family. Are your friends somebody that you really care for? Is your family member somebody that you really love? And if you care and you love for somebody, you would want to do the best you can for them. Isn't giving them the gift of salvation important? What is stopping you from doing it? We have to make decisions this year, before this year ends, before uh, 2014. It's flying by. You blink of an eye and the next thing you know, the children who were children are going to be men and women up here. So we got to think quick. Who haven't you talked to? to? You can pray for the sick family members when they're in the hospitals. You can... um, Pray at family gatherings. You can say, may I pray before we eat? Most of the time they don't say no. They're willing to bow their heads. Right? You can say, oh, you're at a family function, somebody's birthday. May I pray for you? Let's pray for the person who had a new birthday, that the Lord may extend their lives and bless them. Those are little, just little things that you can do. When you know somebody is in crisis, you can give them a phone call. And just say, just share with them. You know how Jesus can change this. Jesus can turn it around. He turned it around in my life. He can turn it around in yours. You can ask the waiter or the waitress, how can I pray for you? How many people do that? That's a friend of mine taught me that. When you go to a restaurant, you like to eat good, right? You go to a restaurant, you like to leave your tip and whatever else. Before you leave that tip, why don't you ask the waitress, how can I, what, what can I pray for? How can I pray for you? As long as he's not sometimes. And even if he was a, 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 or it's a person that was kind of cranky who served you, then you, that's even better. Then you can say, let me pray for you. I can see you had a hard day. Yeah. <laughs> right? Turn it around for that person. How about you can set up a date with your BFF and say, let's have some coffee. I want to share something with you. You got to seize the opportunities. There's so many opportunities out there that we have, and we don't seize them. We don't get them. We don't take them in hands, but we allow it to go by us. Opportunities that then sometimes we might have regrets. I've had regrets. I had a cousin who suffered HIV. I was putting off visiting him because he had HIV. I was a believer. I was much younger, but I was a believer. I'm honest. I'm fessing up. 
I didn't want to go because he had HIV. And when I go to finally to the hospital, they set my, my mother and me, who both went to the hospital, to a separate room. And when I get there, what do I find? My cousin had passed away. Now, I lost my opportunity to share salvation with him. But God is so good that God allowed somebody who was a chaplain to go to those wards and lead people to Jesus. So I pray and I expect that when I get to heaven, I'll see my cousin in heaven. Don't let that happen to you. Don't wait until a family member dies for them you to be crying, 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 because your tears are useless. Because when the person's gone, the person's gone. You can't take it back. You can't pray for the person's soul. I'm sorry, people. It's too late. Seize the opportunity. I've given you examples here of how you can share your faith with people. Like I told you what I do in the cab. You might want to try it one day with somebody. Tony, you funny. You can be up. You have those people cracking up and the cab driver come up here and driving us free. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. <clears throat> but seize the opportunity. Take it and share your faith. Sort of do an introspective. And think about some of the things that I've talked about. First thing I said is be God's love letter. Think, decide, am I being God's love letter? And let me tell you something. That that video I showed it, that I showed you this morning, I showed it for a reason. Because we all struggle. Sometimes we get here and the kids are giving us a hard time. I was going to say something else. A hard time. And you get to those doors and you're biting your lip. Because you don't want to dar un cocotazo, as they say. Right? You know what cocotazo is? On the head, right? On the way to the children's ministry. Right? Or like the, like the sister showed, your husband forgot to get your dresses out the cleaner and you had to wear the dirty one with the stain that you had to be sitting on or hiding from. Right? And your husband might be mad because you didn't put enough gas and then you lost power somewhere down the road and then he had to get out and he had to go get some gas and that's why you people got late to church. Be God's love letter. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to go to changes. We're all going to have situations. But Jesus Christ is the one that makes me able to overcome when I get here. That's why sometimes I go to bath and I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. I had a friend when I went. This was funny. I went to a retreat. And a, a parent sends a troublemaking teenager. Because there's no other word. She was a troublemaking teenager from you know where. Guess what? That's the one I had sitting next to me on the bus. And I'm like, oh, for Jesus, for Jesus, for Jesus. Okay, so let me get to the place. Who's bunking with me? The same person. I said, that's not funny, God. Because, you know, one thing is a coincidence, the third time in the same room. But guess what? She had a need. And it was so big that she was the first person to give a heart of Jesus that night when we had uh, the first meeting. And I thank the Lord for it. She just stayed, um, what do you call it? Uh, Close to God and she's still in the Lord. And I just thank God for her. Because it was funny. The one I thought was going to give us, you know, H-E-L-L. Turned out to be the first one who gave the heart to the Lord. Crying and mocos and all. And we thank God. Yeah, we thank God for I thank God for that. But if it wasn't, not for nothing. While I was in that bathroom, because I would go to the bathroom. And sometimes, it's funny. She would come to the bathroom next to me. The, the, the stall next to me. And I would be like, Jesus, Lord, help us, Lord, hallelujah. And she said, you people even say Jesus in the toilet. I say, why not? You know? Because I was really concerned about this person. Okay? But I loved her. I loved her through it. And that's one thing I want to share with you very quickly. When I had my own situation and my own issues, I had a very close friend, and I still do. And what 
changed my life and turned me around was that they loved me through all my craziness. If they don't love you through your craziness, they don't love you. Because that is, that really shows, you know, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And that broke my heart. That broke that hardness that I had from me. When the person says, I'm going to love you through this. We need to love our people. We need to love our children. We need to love our family members. You need to realize that we all need Jesus. You need to communicate that to your friend. You need to be able to leave here tonight or today or this morning, this afternoon, whatever. And you need to be able to think about, I'm a, if Jesus was to come in 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, if Jesus was to come, who are you going to talk about to Jesus? Uh, uh, about Jesus? Elder, quickly. You should have somebody in your head. Dennis. Sister Isabel. Um, um, Genevieve's mom, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Wilda. Your mother. Natalie. Arlene. David. Okay. We shouldn't even have to have a pause. We should think about right now in our heads at least five people that you know that don't know Jesus. You should be saying, another question. If you knew Jesus was coming in 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, Jesus was coming. What would you do? Daraida. If you knew Jesus was coming in 30 minutes, what would you do? Uh, Marcella. If it was me, I'd be flying out this door, trying to figure out where's the closest relative that I had and how fast I can get there before the 30 minutes. Because if I can't get there, I've got to make a phone call. i got a plan for Mother's Day for the women in my family. I'm not telling you this because I want to only encourage you. I'm telling you because I'm going to practice it. i got something already planned that I'm going to present to the women in my family for Mother's Day. They're going to get their gifts, but they're going to get a new gift. Remember, are you willing to do anything for your friends? Are you willing to do anything for your family? Because sometimes, you know, you're willing to do more for your family than you would for a friend. But can you imagine somebody who really needs it, that it's a friend of yours? Last thing. Be alert at all, for all opportunities that, you know, God allows you to, when God allows you to share with a friend. Opportunities come and go. That's one thing I learned. Opportunities come and go. You get an opportunity. If you don't take it, you lose it. It's not going to come again. Not that particular opportunity, but another opportunity. When I was going to college, I remember I was a Christian. I was a young Christian. Um, I was going to college, and I was in a hurry. I see this elderly man. This was like in the, I'm going to fess up now, the 70s. And um, the little gentleman, the old senior citizen, was begging now, something in my heart said, stop and give them something. Go buy something. But I was in a hurry because I was going to class. So I passed them by. But Holy Spirit kept on just like, mm-mm-mm-mm. So at one point or another between classes, I ran back. The man wasn't there. So then I had to suffer today, you know, beating myself emotionally that I lost an opportunity to be able to bless somebody. 
be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. Okay? The opportunity was there, but I didn't take it. Don't let God's opportunities in your life pass you by. And so I want you just to, in conclusion, you, uh, you think about these things. Are you God's love letter? Are you um, willing to do anything for your, what do you call it, for the people that you love? And, um, I even forgot myself. And are you willing to do anything for these people, for your family and for your friends?